0: and welcome to this episode of the Mother Kind podcast with me, Zoe Blasky, where each week I chat to a different guest about all things motherhood and wellbeing. This week, I'm talking to the awesome Lizzie King from Lizzie Loves Healthy. Lizzie is an author, nutritional health coach, mum of three, and food writer. It was such a joy to chat to Lizzie, especially as her book is such a staple in my kitchen. We chat about how she started...
1: I was working in film, working in TV, obsessed with food, as lots of us are. And then I got pregnant and I started talking to this amazing woman called Dr. Gary Motor. She had really interesting things to say about diet and the impact it has on your baby. So I started fully geeking out on that. Sugar, snacks, fussy eaters. My eldest is usually a little bit suspicious and definitely has things that he doesn't like you know I don't like sweet potatoes I don't like but you know I've worked out that you know if you fry a sweet potato and turn it into chips or if you have it in something then he does eat it but it's not his favorite thing her cherry juice sleep potion and so much more so not normal cherries you can't just go and eat a bowl of cherries it has to be these special sour concentrated cherries and so I was like well this is worth giving it a go all the research had said that on average an hour more sleep is had from the time you're in bed so people that can't go to sleep sleep more when they get into bed and
0: people i.e. annoying children (laughs) who get up at five sleep longer i honestly could have chatted to lizzie for hours we have such a fun morning together i hope you enjoy the episode and if you did please join the conversation over on instagram at motherkind.co here it is Lizzie, welcome to the Mother Kind Podcast. Thank you so much for
1: being here. My pleasure. It's lovely to have you, have me. It's lovely to be here. (laughs) It's lovely to be here.
0: So Lizzie, let's start right at the start. How did Lizzie Loves Healthy come about?
1: Back in the day, before I had children, those dreamy days of no responsibility, I was working in film, working in TV, obsessed with food, as lots of us are. And then I got pregnant, and... I started talking to some experts, this amazing woman called Dr. Gary Motor, who wrote a book called The Gentle Birth Method. And I used to go and see her and her team and get reflexology. And she does hypnobirthing. And she just had a really interesting attitude to the whole idea of bringing a human into the world, which was not as focused on the Western medical idea, but more about preparing yourself rather than preparing your nursery and preparing your body. And She had really interesting things to say about diet and the impact it has on your baby. So I started fully geeking out on that. I spent most of my first pregnancy um, when I wasn't at work reading, you know, sitting on the sofa and putting my feet up, you know, at the end of the pregnancy when you're knackered and you, you can't do anything else, but gorging on information about nutrition for pregnancy and babies and how what you're eating is affecting your baby. And all the science was so interesting that I started thinking, well, it's one of the things that I can do that is quite straightforward, like everything I put in my mouth is going to make a difference to my unborn baby. And so it sort of went from there. And when I had my first baby, I started the weaning thing and I just didn't feel like there was enough information out there that aligned with my vibe. The books and the kids' food that it was sort of all called was just to me really depressing and a bit bland and a bit unfull of life and joy and vegetables and colour. Before I had children, I would have spent all the Saturday cooking for friends to come over and have an amazing, you know, otolangi dinner or whatever it would be, but it would have been a, a proper feast and suddenly being told that, you know, they have to have pureed, white stuff for their supper and then I was going to have the same it was wasn't viable because there was never enough time and it was just too depressing so I thought okay well I'm going to just try and make sure there's a way of us eating the same food and it all being healthier so that's what I started off doing I then did a nutritional health coaching course online when I was pregnant with my second baby And that I found, again, so fascinating that more and more new nutritional science backing up how it impacts our life and that we were just sort of missing, you know, you've got something wrong with you, go to the doctor, take a pill, it'll stop, rather than addressing the thing that you do three or four or five times a day that you could change a tiny bit what you eat and have a major, major impact before you get ill. So then I started realising that lots of people found it really hard feeding their kids as well, and lots of people were trying to feed their kids better, but just felt like there wasn't anything out there. So this was about seven years ago. I started making food in my kitchen and selling it. I had a company called Vitalove, and the idea was that you would give your children vitamins and love. So I called it Vitalove, and I was making frozen packs of delicious like chicken and kale and rice and salmon and fennel fish pies. Actually, that recipe is in my book. <laughs> but I was making recipes that I thought were just more packed with good stuff and tasted great that quite often the husbands were eating apparently. So they were double ordering and making it in my own kitchen and selling it. But it just got to a point where like, the demand was too much and I couldn't carry on doing it <clears throat> like that. So I was going thinking of a way of changing that up and upscaling. And then I had my third baby and decided to put that on a back burner for a minute. And then my thyroid collapsed and I was totally out of action. That's <laughs> I was like, okay, I can't do anything. I can't work, barely look after my three kids. So everything slightly went on the back burner. And then when he was about six or seven months old, when I was feeling better and I'd taken a massive learning curve about how the food I'd been eating was impacting my thyroid... I had an autoimmune thyroid disease called Hashimoto's. And I eventually scraped through all the information and went to see so many specialists. And this one guy was telling me that gluten was gonna be one of my problems that was causing this autoimmunity to trigger. And I hadn't been eating it until I got pregnant again with Phoenix, my third. I sort of knew, like my gut didn't like it and it always caused a few problems. But third baby, no energy, no time to cook. I'd definitely been eating bread and cakes and croissants more than I had ever before. And it suddenly made sense. So anyway, I stopped. And instead of before, oh, just, you know, the odd cross on here and there is fine. He was like, no, 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 you've got to be entirely zero gluten. And it made such a massive difference. So then I suddenly got excited about food on Instagram and was like, wow, it's so lovely seeing beautiful pictures of food. I'm I'm not that interested in, you know, sharing photos of what my children are doing on a Sunday night, but I really like looking at people's food. So, you know, if it's going to help other people, I want to know what the person next door having for their supper. Literally, I started this account. It was called Vital Love originally, just sharing pictures of what I was making my kids for supper. And it just kind of grew. And then I changed it to Lizzie Loves Healthy because it just sort of worked better. My name was in it and my website designer said, you know, you need to have more of your name and stuff in it. So then Lizzie Loves Healthy was born three years ago. And Yeah, then an agent contacted me and a publisher almost at the same time and said, we'd really like you to do a book because we don't feel like there's anything out there providing ideas and recipes for kids that are healthy and easy and delicious. So I spent a year writing, shooting, working on the book, which was just so much fun and like a dream like I hadn't thought that was how it was going to happen but it was just so much fun and yeah now I'm in a really fun position of you know working with brands working on recipes I've got a lovely community in my Instagram world and on my website of lovely people who tell me you know how much they've liked my recipes or that their baby slept because he had cherry juice drink or you know it's just a really fun place where i'm at at the moment
0: well i'm glad you did the book so i absolutely love it genuinely i cook from it at least you know once or twice a week i think what i love is just it's so tasty that's the first thing because i think you know before i was really into the healthy eating thing, you know and i would cook a lot of vegan meals and Mm. you know it's different when you're a Mum, like you were saying, you've got no time and it has to be tasty, otherwise it won't get eaten.
1: Exactly. But but it won't get eaten by them or you or your husband. And I'm not
0: cooking three meals. You know, I'm I'm cooking one and we're all eating it. And that's what I really think is great about Lucy Loves Healthy in the book is that, you know, I'll make
1: something, Jesse will eat it, Guy will eat it, and I will. Yeah, it kind of gets lost quite often, either going down the mum exhausted route or going down the nutritional, you know, dietitian route, is that it should be such a joy and such a privilege to introduce a new human being to food, right? It's like, we've been given this amazing privilege, like in the wild, they would run off and forage for their own food after they've, you know, done with the milk. but we're giving them food we're choosing what they eat and I think that's a massive responsibility but it's a massive privilege we can start a lifelong journey of complete joy and love of food which I think you really have to keep in the back burner when you're stewing over your stew on a
0: Sunday night were your kids fussy
1: interesting they're all so different my middle one is a proper she's like a mini foodie she will try anything she likes extraordinary things she likes anchovies and olives and whatever but she will try anything my eldest is usually a little bit suspicious and definitely has things that he doesn't like you know I don't like sweet potatoes I don't like but you know I've worked out that you know if you fry a sweet potato and turn it into chips or if you mm. have it in something then I'm not talking about whizzing it into oblivion I'm just talking about if it's in a curry or something then he does eat it but it's not his favorite thing I get that and it's often a texture thing I think you have to also with children respect they have really sensitive mouths and they have many more taste buds than we do. So they're firing on a much stronger system almost, on a high level really. You know, he didn't like macaroni cheese ever when we went out and that was always the treat for other people. And and then I worked out, actually it's the texture, he doesn't like sort of squelchy food. And so now, you know, if I make risotto and it's a bit too squelchy, I just turn it into little arancini balls and I fry them up and He loves that. So it's like, I'm not going to do separate food for everyone ever. Like, I'm not going to have a cheese sandwich for them and fish fingers for them and a hamburger like I've seen so many times. And it just, you're building a rod for your own back. I mean, you're just making your life so tricky for yourself. And I I get it that you want your children to be happy, and we all do, and you want them to enjoy their food. But actually, the way to make them enjoy their food more is by introducing them to stuff that they think they don't want to eat or they don't like and actually... You know, like you were saying to me earlier, Zoe, about the sweet corn and spinach dal. When I put that in the book, lots of people in the publishing house, etc., said, "Well, oh, do you think children are going to eat dal? It's it's got lots of spices and it's you know it's got spinach and it's got sweet." Anyway, it's one of the most popular recipes in my book, and so many mums say, "Wow, you know, it's so easy, and I can't believe they're eating dal." You know, but actually, in India. You know, think about the babies eating dal morning, noon and night.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's actually one of my favourite. That's one of my go-to ones from the book. And how much do you try and educate your children about nutrition and loving our bodies through what we eat? Or do you just do, try and do that by example?
1: Well, I sort of try and do a bit of both. You know, in an ideal world And I know it's what the psychologists would always say You're meant to sit down You're meant to have a beautiful family meal And it's all roses But we don't do, you know My husband's never back from work early enough My four-year-old is too hungry to wait So we probably only have lunches together at the weekends That's probably the only meal we all sit down and eat But in the week, I sit down with them after school And I I try and, you know, eat something Even if it's I'm going to wait and have supper with my husband But I do always make sure they know what they're eating We talk about that a bit it. and well they always ask I mean kids are like, what are we having for dinner what are we having for yeah. dinner that's like yeah. the yeah. first question when I pick them up from school <laughs> or,
0: can I have a snack
1: yes or I'm hungry I need a snack All both the of them <laughs> yeah <laughs> so what am I having for dinner sometimes I just go because I genuinely don't know I go as a surprise or I make up some nonsense name but I try not to say oh, it's, you know, just the word that they're expecting, or, you know, oh, it's spaghetti bolognese, or oh, it's pasta and pasta, because I think kids want to know that it's something familiar, because that's inherent in our nature especially for children. We're quite neophobic. So new stuff is, like, alarming and weird and we're a little bit sceptical and, you know, that's how we've evolved because, you know, if something was in front of you and you hadn't eaten it before, it might be poisonous. Yeah. So I get that. But equally, you have to try and smooth over that transition from, yeah, these are sweet potato and spinach bargies. What's a bargie? You know, like, so I don't give it a name. I just say it's a really nice crispy thing and I give it to them and then I say, what do you think's in it? And they talk about it. Anyway, They now know that, I mean, they've been through the mill of recipe testing a cookbook. They know that there's just anything is going to come at any point. My one rule, I try not to make rules about eating because I just don't want it to be a didactic, miserable experience. But my one rule is that everyone tries everything. So I don't care. By looking at it, you can't tell if you don't like it. And I always say you don't eat with your eyes, but you clearly do on Instagram. (laughs) We're all eating with our eyes right daily. Right but I pretend to my children that we don't. And I just tell them, like, if you looked at someone in the playground, you can't tell if you like them or not. So it's the same with your food. You've got to have a little try. And again, the psychologists and the food experts have always say that sometimes children take 10 or 12 goes before they like something I mean that's when they're smaller but I definitely repeat the same things that someone said they didn't really like or and it's amazing how tiny difference in temperature or a tiny difference in how finely it's grated or a tiny difference in you know if it's got something with it makes it just a huge or how hungry they are like
0: how they're feeling or context exactly or or if if they've got a
1: tiny bit of a sore throat and they can't swallow it or I mean I remember my first child being so fussy suddenly and he was about two or three and it was driving me absolutely mental and then we realized three days later that he had really swollen throat and the doctor was like yeah he would have had trouble eating and I was like oh I probably shouldn't be so cross with him then should I but you know that's how you know you have to try and get down on their level and realize that they're going to eat when they're hungry they want to eat but if you give them a bit of yeah I definitely do the whole right spinach makes you I don't do the sort of superhero myth thing of you know spinach is what Batman eats or all that sort of stuff because I just think it's not that useful. Or this is going to make you fly. Or I mean, I've heard people say really crazy stuff to their children. Just make anything up to make them eat it because I don't think it really helps because they actually get it and they know you're making it up. And even if they're tiny, they just think, oh god, this is what's going to happen, and it's a bit patronising. So I try and make sure that there's some truth in it, but it's just easier for them to work out. Like you know, my four year old from a tiny age, I would just say, yeah, it's green. I don't like green. It's green but it makes you feel stronger and it's good for your blood to pump energy to your muscles just keep it really simple but real and they do get that and they do like that they like knowing that you've oh she's given me some real information and actually I want to yeah I do want to eat that if it's going to make me feel better or stop me getting a runny nose or any of those things they like knowing that
0: yeah yeah
1: because actually children inherently want to be well and want to be healthy and want to eat nice food I mean it is easy to eat junk and there's just easy crap out there everywhere but equally if they're hungry all my children would pick up a red pepper and avocado and apple and they would really willingly devour they would know that that was what they would really want to eat so I think instinct is good yeah
0: too. I think you're so right and I think what I've noticed you know Jesse's too so it's a bit of a different phase but it seems to be a real trigger and Mm. some mum clients talk to us as well as when their children's not eating it can really trigger a lot of fear around you know what's going on and just get them to eat just get them to eat and Mm. I think I've tried to with Jessie take a bit more like well she'll eat when she's hungry and try to relax a bit more about the whole thing Mm. do you hear that quite a bit there's this fear that they're not eating and what does that mean or they're not eating the right thing or I can't give them enough vegetables and
1: I totally agree with you and I think it's a really good point because I think Ironically, in this world of abundance, we can get any food we want, any minute we want to. As a mother, we are so innately terrified that we're not providing for our child, and the idea that they are hungry is, like, terrifying. And actually, without sounding harsh in any way, I think hunger is a good thing for a child. Like, to actually know hunger, it's really rare for any of us really to feel that hungry because as soon as there's any twinkle of hunger in us, we just grab something and And I actually think it's a good thing to acknowledge and sit with and And my children, yeah, I mean, they're straight after school and they haven't, who knows what they ate for lunch and how much. They're always absolutely starving and they come rushing in the door but, you know, I give them an apple or I give them some carrots and hummus or I give them whatever I've got in the fridge. I don't make a special snack usually unless we're out somewhere and, they can have a snack then, but being hungry for your supper or your lunch is so key. And also giving your digestive system that break is also key. And I was listening last night to this talk, Dr. Rong and Chatterjee, who was so interesting, and he said one of the key things for your gut health is having a gap in your digestive system so that it can rebuild its flora. The permanent snacking on processed, refined sugars and foods is just killing it all down it's just like scorching it
0: yeah I want to talk to you about snacking partly from like selfish personal perspective because <laughs> I notice like if I'm out and about with Jessie you know maybe an event or a, even shopping or something mm. I definitely use snacks as a way to sort of entertain her and I don't know, and I've wondered whether that's okay in a way, like using food as an entertainment <laughs> distraction tool as opposed to a nourishing. What's your view on how many snacks we're giving?
1: So it's interesting since the Public Health England announcement in January about our children should have no more than two snacks a day, and they should be 100 calories or less a day, which did cause quite a massive press media dolefully hype craziness. And I did talk to lots of people about it. I got lots of magazines and. She was in the Daily Mail asking whether or not this is right and is this crazy or is this scaremongering and what actually should we be doing for kids. Clearly, the point of the message was right in that we don't need our kids to be eating massive amounts of snacks all day. And they were specifically saying lower sugar as well, which I totally agree with. Like, we don't need kids to be eating cakes and biscuits, you know, all through the day. We all know that deep down, that it's not useful. But my real feeling that I think sometimes gets missed is that it's about proportionately children have probably two-thirds, I mean, obviously it depends on age, but let's just sort of say roughly for a five, six, seven, eight-year-old, their stomach is about a quarter of the size of ours, but their calorific needs are about three quarters of the size of ours. So if you get that when they eat, they need to get more from each calorie and each bite than we do.
0: More nutrition.
1: Yeah, they need nutrient density. Obviously, it's great if we're eating brilliantly. But if we have a croissant at 11 o'clock, it's not going to have such an impact on us health-wise or hunger-wise for our lunch or for the rest of the day. Whereas if a child in the park, and I've done this totally, you know, you're in the park at 11 o'clock and I'm a bit hungry and you can see everyone else has got rice cakes and everyone else has got whatever fruity, roly things and either they go off and get one from someone else. You can't be the park meanie who's like no come back and get in your buggy but I do really feel especially with by the time I got round to my third one I just see immediately that there's less interest in lunch there's less good stuff going in you know four or five rice cakes it's basically just air puffed air you know it's giving them a bit of carbohydrate and a bit of energy and something to suck on and chew on and with a bit of sugar on usually they're painted with sort of fruit juice it's something for them to do and it's something that is immediately nice for them because it's a sucky nice thing, but actually it's pointless and probably a bit more than pointless because it stops them getting the good stuff in at lunchtime. So for me, I don't, do, I mean, minor kids are a bit older and age is so obviously dependent on how little they are. And when they're tiny, they do have tiny stomachs and they do need a little bit something to get them through till lunch or something to get them through in the afternoon so I get that but it's so much a judgment call if they're not eating their lunch properly if they're not eating their supper properly just pull the snack back like maybe an hour before like cut off time you're not allowed anything an hour before and, and just kill the biscuit drawer you know if there's no biscuit drawer or tin that they can just go up and either help themselves or grab or ask you and hug on your jeans for four hours, then they're not going to get one. And then one of my other things is I have a huge fruit bowl always sitting on the kitchen table and they know they can just go and get, you know, they can have a satsuma, they can have an apple, they can have, you know, lots of people say fruit's too high in sugar and blah, blah, blah. I'm totally fine with my kids yeah, having... what I wanted
0: to ask you about that. So, you your fruit
1: sugars? Well, for me, for children, obviously, I don't think it's great when it's, in like the sort of sugar-free recipe that has then got four kilos of dates and five bananas in. I just think that's, what is that? I mean, that's mental. That is still sugar, right? But for the whole fruit, if you're taking... The whole food, which is bound up with lots of fiber, lots of water, lots of you know the skin and pectin, then fine you 're not going to eat i mean if you 've mulched up an apple and put it in an apple crumble, you could eat way more but if you 're going to eat one whole apple, I mean my kids will eat one apple they won 't eat more than that, you know even if they 're really hungry they well maybe my 10 year old would have an apple and then a banana but whatever you know it's not like they're having 50 grams of sugar or you know it's got the other stuff bound up with it so you're not just getting a massive blood sugar high which you would get if it was apple juice or orange juice where it's just gets you're the sugar fibre out, right? you take the fiber out and you well you're just getting the sugar and the water so you're taking all the fiber and lots of the other good stuff that you need And also there's loads of preservatives and stuff in those juices. Yeah.
0: So snacks, because you've been doing a snack swap thing, haven't you, that I've been loving. So can you just give a few ideas of easy, healthy snacks that we could swap some of those, like, sugary packets or the non-nutritional rice cakes? (laughs) (laughs)
1: Yeah. For me, firstly, I mean, snacks, particularly... I was trying to think back when they first started asking me about this in, in January. And when the Daily Mail came to me, I was like, What did we have when we were because they were asking what, apparently the word didn't exist. I'm quite old, but in the 70s, early 80s, there was no snacks didn't exist. And it came about because of the finger of fudge. Do you remember that advert yes. about the finger of fudge just yes. enough to yes. Keep yes. Yeah. give your kids a treat? Well, that was the first time. So it was all a marketing thing to get kids to eat so junk.
0: Many yeah.
1: So the whole snack attack thing is based on people wanting you to buy their sugary, junky stuff. So for me, I think we're now bombarded because it's considered a, you know, it's an easy win. It's like you've got mothers out with a buggy, they need a snack. So there's now a massive industry behind making these snacks. And they're all basically the same. They're full of sugar. They're full of stuff you don't want your children. They're full of just refined carbs and Easy energy that's cheap to make and massive shelf life. But nothing really of much goodness or nothing that's still anywhere near alive or a whole food. Just keep it simple. I mean, I've already said an apple. I always used to have in the bottom of the buggy, my buggy days are sadly over, but I would have an apple or a satsuma. I would have some fruit, sometimes, you know, forgotten and rotten, but there would be a fruit in there. Little nut butter sachet things. I squirt them on up, think. Well, actually, my little one just like sucks it up. But those are good. Pip and nut make a really nice almond butter that's got a bit of coconut oil in, so it's not like too. Yeah, we've got those. sachets are great. Yeah, they're really great. And then if you're at home and it's easier, but. Slice up some apples, stick some nut butter in between, little apple sandwiches my kids love. My little one likes banana nut butter sandwiches. Hummus with anything you've got in the fridge, you know, cucumber, carrots, peppers, whatever you've got. If you're efficient and organised, you can make some energy balls. I've got so many energy ball recipes on my website and in my book. And even a little DIY diagram of, you know... Yeah, I love you that diagram.
0: It's really good.
1: Take a few ingredients, choose... a one from here, one from here, one from here, and you make your own with whatever you've got in the fridge. The longest thing about them is rolling them up, and I get my children to do that, and that's like they love doing that, it's like making snowballs. And you can decide how much sugar they have in them, how many dates, how many raisins, whatever the sweetness. And often, if you've got a nice flavour, I think this is so key with all food stuff, children or not children, if you've got flavour, you don't need so much sweetness. So quite often, they stick, they being whoever, the food industry or anyone, recipes I don't like but if you add a lump of sugar of any kind, whatever it is, it's an easy win, but you're not actually adding any flavour. It's just a sweetness. So if you can add flavour, whether that's cocoa or vanilla or ginger mm-hmm. or lime cinnamon or,
0: I use or well.
1: cinnamon, it adds a different warmth and a different flavour. So you, you don't need as much sugar. I mean, we make porridge most mornings because my four-year-old will only eat porridge and we'd now just put cinnamon in it and maybe a bit of apple or whatever. But we don't smother it in maple syrup or honey or whatever because you don't actually need, if you've got some sweetness already from a flavour or a spice or an aromatic, you can. You and I can guess do that. we're
0: training their palates as well, aren't we?
1: Yeah, totally.
0: And yeah. Sugar immunity. Yeah. But I remember I did like. Actually, it probably wasn't the healthiest way, but before my wedding, I decided to do no sugar. That's um, a healthy way, yeah. Although I was doing it maybe for the wrong reasons to fit into a dress, but you know, <laughs> yeah. yeah that. <laughs> Needs much. <laughs> yeah. And I remember on my wedding day, I had some of our desserts, mm. which was like cake, and I hadn't had it up until just that normal point. wedding cake, yeah. With and the, white
1: icing that's yeah, killer sugar,
0: right? <laughs> and the taste of it was like I almost couldn't bear it, and I thought, oh my god, I've almost like reset my. Palette. this is how naturally it's meant to be and I was like god it's up and now of course you know I'm back on the sugar I can have a bit and it's you know it's amazing to me though how I reset it
1: well this is what's really interesting I don't ever say no no one can have this or you know to my kids you can't ever have that because I think that breeds a whole other set of troubles and probably binging and grabbing whatever you can later in life you know I don't even do this is for a treat and this is because you've done so well and that and you get a sweet you know they know they've got information now in their heads and they know that really junky whatever food and they know what it does and they know that it's not great for them but I'm totally you know if you're at a party or you you want to have that then that's what they you know it's up to, especially my 10 year old and he gets it and he's like comes home and it's almost like he tells me "Well, I had this pizza and then I had this but I didn't have that because I didn't really want to and, and it's really interesting like he's kind of all over it but they haven't been inundated with sugar I mean of course they've had haribos and they've had Cakes and full of sugar, and they've had birthday hummingbird cupcakes or whatever. (laughs) But actually, really interestingly, they often get excited about the idea of it, and they look so beautiful, and they've got unicorns on top or whatever, and they'll sort of have a lick and they'll have as you know get crazy excited, and then they'll just leave half of it, and then I'll go, "Did you not want that? Or do you? Oh no, I just had had enough." And actually, totally about resetting your. I've done a four week to sugar free program that I started on my website and it's been so interesting about I think 100 people have done it now and so the idea is that you can actually get off sugar. It's like it's a drug. Well, it is a drug, but whatever. You can wean your family and your children, even if they've been used to eating Kit Kats four times a day. And really quickly, like you were saying about your wedding cake, you can really quickly notice that the palate totally adapts and resets it. It's like a reset button and it goes back. And actually, I really don't eat much sugar, but if I have an apple, it tastes sweet enough, right? If I have strawberries, or if I don't mean God, I remember when I was little, covering strawberries with sugar, with white sugar. That's just what we did at home, you know.
0: Sprinkling sugar on cereal.
1: Sprinkling sh- had like an inch what? on my would wheat we we do that? Totally, and that's how I was brought up. It was like you know.
0: Do you think there was the education about no, sugar? No,
1: there wasn't, and it was just like more the sweeter the better. Yeah. But now I notice, like you were saying, I notice if I'm eating out and there's a pudding, I, I just don't really need it. I don't really want it and I don't really... So it is good. that I mean, it is enlightening for anyone out there who's worried about their sugar intake that you can adjust it really rapidly and see a massive difference. Yeah.
0: And do you know what I think is so good as well? You're describing your 10-year-old and I just didn't fancy that is... Is teaching them, you know, which I've had to learn actually, is around intuitive eating, and you know, it's a bit of a phrase, isn't it? But I guess really understanding when am I hungry and yeah. when am I eating just because I, you know, I want the sugar, and totally. it is, you know, it is a drug. We know that now. You know, our brains are addicted to it. That's it's what happens. The dopamine. Yeah, the dopamine fires the same as with drugs. Yeah. So I think that's what I'm trying to do with Jessie, is teaching her a little bit about food and and I do the same I don't give rewards Mm. for good behaviour and I don't use food I think I'm not sure the relationship that would set up with
1: food well I think you just want to try and disentangle emotion from food because I know for me, it was, you know, there was always, and it was like, you're good, you get, you know, it's been bound up. And we know that it is, you know, if you, yeah. f- if you feel tired or crap, people want more chocolate because they've got low blood sugar. And it's all, you know, it's all related. White carbs for me. All white carbs, exactly. But whatever your quick kick is, and we know that it's all related. And actually, you know, the older my kids get, the more proper conversations that I feel like I can sit down and have but my 10 year old for sure I he can say to me oh well actually you know I had some Sprite and he's like it was really not very nice and I didn't no no but everyone was having it and so I just had some and it was it's quite nice and fizzy and so we just talk about it and then I sort of say well you know next time would you of course you can have it like have what, and, and he loves knowing that but he equally I feel like he knows what choices are better for him and what choices are worse and he really reacts like amazingly fast to sugar. Like, he's... I think, again, all children are different. Some kids, you wouldn't necessarily notice Mm -hmm. if they just had a cupcake. My daughter, you don't necessarily notice. But my son, he's quite wired anyway. He's, like, really high energy. He's like a little sort of stallion. And if he has sugar he gets completely like he's like twitchy he's a different he doesn't become a you know the sugar high running around the house being a what up freak but he just I can see in his eyes he's really twitchy he's really like anxious he's not he's just not the same person anymore and it's really interesting and so I find that the impact of having less sugar or no added sugar to us has just made such a massive difference to everyone's mood emotion concentration like, general well-being.
0: It's so confusing, though, isn't it? And I would, sort of, anyone listening to this wondering, have a look at Lizzie's website. So you've got some great, sort of, you know, content and articles that you've written about sugar. Because I think it is, you know, especially with, like, a lot of the health bloggers and writing... Mm you know, recipes that are jam-packed full of sugar, but it's not refined, and is it sugar, and is it sugar? It is
1: a bit of a minefield out there. It is, and when I first started writing my book, I wanted it to be quite black and white that there wasn't any added sugar in any of my recipes. So there is no white sugar or any brown sugar in anything that I do in my recipes, but sweet is sweet for me, and it's still, if something has an impact on your blood sugar than it is to be treated as sugar, really. So I do use dates and honey and maple syrup, and there is a whole lot of that in my book about unpacking all of that information. Yeah, great.
0: I would suggest anyone who's like wanting we'll to know more about this it's such a good resource that, really simple
1: yeah I've just tried to keep it really simple and what does it add in agave syrup and you know there's so many different sweeteners out there now that oh it's fine because it's not sugar. sugar now yeah all oh, of yeah. it and actually well, what I find interesting about all of them is they all add something a little bit different and so I do use them all very differently but I just don't condone the whole this recipe doesn't have sugar in it but actually it's got it's about the ratios as well if you've got one cup of nuts and two cups of dates, which a lot of some people's recipes have. I mean, that's double. So you're having double whatever the content of the food is yeah. of sugar. Or
0: 12 tablespoons of maple
1: syrup. Yeah, I just, I mean, I've got my most popular cake in my book, which is the Victoria, it's like a Victoria sponge, but it's called the Honey Celebration Cake. I think it's got two tablespoons of honey, and it's a whole huge cake. And actually, it's got vanilla, and it's, you had strawberries in the middle and cream. You don't need this massive amount of sugar. And when I first started, I'm not a natural baker. I mean, cooking savoury stuff is my thing. And so when I was getting around to the sort of bakey type things and cakes, and I'm not very good at, you know, being really specific about weighing and all that stuff. So I was really getting down to the technical, the chemical chemistry lesson part of that. And just going back and deconstructing other people's recipes and looking at what was making different cakes? Almost all the cakes of traditional recipes, there's 400 grams of flour and 400 mm. grams of sugar and how many... And you just think that actually, if you look at that, that's mad. You know, how can it be? They say, like, that 400 grams to start with some massive amount of sugar. And if you cut that into little slices, that's eight, you know, an eighth of 450 grams. It's a lot of sugar. Yeah.
0: So if we're not getting our energy, false energy, I guess, from sugar, what are some of the best energy giving foods because something I get asked a lot is I'm a knackered busy mum I'm mm-hmm. low on energy what can I do
1: mm-hmm. well I think the sleep thing is the million dollar question isn't it but obviously you Talk can't tell about p- your cherry <laughs> this was an amazing discovery I don't have babies who wake up in the night anymore but I think it was when the clocks went back look, this year that suddenly my kids who are all pretty good at sleeping and if they have to get up or have to do something I'm quite fierce and they go back to bed you know and they go back to sleep and I'm not getting up at four or five with my I mean they're big they're four and upwards I'm not cruel (laughs) well maybe I am I don't know but you know bedtime is bedtime but we had this complete disaster week of they wouldn't go to bed because it was still light and then they were waking up early so they were going to bed really late like nine or ten and then they were up at five or six and it was completely horrific. And it lasted for about a week. And so I really knuckled down and read whatever I could read. This is So my normal approach is, right, okay, there must be something out there that people know about. But it, also the natural thing, like it's for my kids and I want it to be real and whole and natural. And I found that there are lots of sources of melatonin, which is the hormone that you need to relax and sleep. So there were various approaches that are all, if you want to look on my website, there's an article called my tips on getting better sleep. And the magnesium oil and lavender spray and lots of things that do make a little bit of a, you know, a good tweak. Black up blinds, massive difference to my life. But this cherry juice I then found that is basically the only food source of high amounts of melatonin. So not normal cherries. You can't just go and eat a bottle of cherries. It has to be these special, sour, concentrated cherries. And so I was like, well, this is worth giving it a go. All the research had said that on average, an hour more sleep is had from the time you're in bed. So people that can't go to sleep, sleep more when they get into bed. And people, i.e. annoying children who <laughs> get off at five, sleep longer. So I was like, this is a complete no-brainer. It's cherry juice. And I looked up, can you give it to you? It's absolutely fine for children. It was just about the dosage. And I gave it to all three of my children. And, you know, the results were varied accordingly. But they, all three of them, within three days, We're back to, I mean, literally, and I now use it if there's a jet lag issue, if there's, you know, someone's been ill and they haven't slept. Like, it immediately, and and I've now had, I mean, hundreds of messages from mums who, because I then shared it, saying, I can't believe how I haven't known about this before. So, yes, do read about the cherry juice. It's a (laughs) lifesaver.
0: What are your other top tips like that? So, charcoal.
1: The charcoal. Oh my God. So my children touch wood. You should never say this because then it happens. But my children, they don't throw up and they haven't ever since they were tiny. And probably my eldest has been thrown up once in his whole life. Anyway, I was away working in Italy last October and my husband was in charge of all three children for the nighttime period. And then he was going to work and they were going to school. But he had four days of this and the first morning, I'd been up for about three hours getting ready for the shoot, like massive high pressure, getting all this food ready, making everything look beautiful, on location, in the middle of Italy. And I get this phone call from my husband. Phoenix has been throwing up all night since two o'clock this morning, Thrown up in our bed, thrown up in his bed, thrown up in the bathroom. Like he was having like the worst <laughs> day ever. <laughs> so I said, okay, so I was like in so much panic anyway about my day that I was about to do. And then I was freaking out about the fact that I had this poor, sick four-year-old at home who's never sick. So I went into panic mode and I suddenly, I mean, I have this charcoal at home anyway because I use it on me. I'm my first guinea pig. And I just thought, because I wasn't there and I couldn't do anything, I said to my husband, well, get one of these pills and break it. And I told him what to do. And he took it. And Two hours later, this was about nine o'clock in the morning, I rang back and I said, how are you all? He said, well, he's fallen asleep on the floor. I was like, oh God, well that sounded a good thing or a bad thing, but anyway, put him to bed. And then an hour later, he sent me a photo of Phoenix eating porridge. And he said, he woke up and the first thing he said was, please can I have some porridge? And I don't know about you or any of you listening, but whenever I've had a sick child, either they've carried on being sick for quite a long time intermittently or, yeah, sometimes it's short and sweet and they have just been sick for a few hours, but they are never well enough to eat that quickly. And I just was so blown away. So I just documented, I put the photos uploaded onto my website and I wrote the thing about the charcoal and how to make it and how to give it to your children because they can't take the pills and blah, blah, blah. And again, I've had literally hundreds of messages and they still come in every day. And then Clemmie Hooper, who was sick the other day, mother of daughters, she started talking about it. And then I had another billion people asking me about it. And it's just really interesting. I mean, the worst thing that's happened is people have said, oh, I think I caught it a bit late. It didn't make that much of a difference. But for, I would say 80% of people have said either it stopped it immediately after being sick once or they just felt so much better at the tail end of it
0: so I think it's so interesting it's quite a naturopathic approach actually isn't it that nature has given us everything that we need to with all these, you know it's also given us sickness bugs we also have all the solutions there naturally in these minerals, fruits, plants, whatever we've
1: been given. And that's always been my kind of approach, that there is something out there that can... I mean, the properties of this charcoal is that it absorbs stuff in your gut, so it pulls... And so you shouldn't take it every day, because it can take your medicine that you're taking or your vitamins out of you. But if you're sick, it will lock that stuff in, and it will just take it out of your system. And it's just... Yeah, it's been used in china since the beginning of time and i'm sure lots of my friends have said oh yeah my mum used to use it in greece and but it's not readily available this knowledge and so i feel like there's so much more like, all i want to do is just like find out
0: so how do you uh, look after yourself you know you're busy mum of three do you have a self-care routine
1: I'm not that good at it. I'm going to try a bit harder. I have spouts, spouts, spouts is the word, spats or bouts of doing meditation. And I mean, I sort of did a month long thing where I did meditation every day and I just thought it was amazing. Baths with Epsom salts. That's my kind of with a nice candle and a book if I haven't fallen asleep. But I think carving a little bit of that time out is really key. But as the, big one gets bigger and the little one doesn't seem to get much bigger I feel like the more time is taken out of the night and the same time you're getting up in the morning so actually more of the day is eaten by children so I think actually just taking time out having a really nice husband helps yeah so I, I think I need to try a bit harder at it but I think phones off on a mm. Sunday I think but I think you need to have a regular thing I think maybe I just need to book like a massage once a month or but I haven't done that yet but I will
0: <laughs> I and mean, it doesn't need to be, yeah, like you say, I mean, it can be so personal to you. It doesn't need to be, like for me, it's often like, you know, having just 10 minutes, you yeah. know, in the garden sometimes.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, like, it
0: doesn't, you know, it doesn't need to be, for me, it doesn't need to be as something, you know, that costs money.
1: No, totally. Literally, a bath is a really one of my favourite things you ever. You
0: the door as well.
1: Oh, that's I can't, and ours, but, oh, yes.
0: See, I yes. Oh, <laughs> so no dogs. So <laughs> or
1: flowers, like, you <laughs> know, I mean, you've me searched on flowers, but flowers <laughs> really just, because then they make you happy every time you look at them.
0: Yeah, flowers are lovely, they're really lovely. Did you make any resolutions this year, or any intentions?
1: Yeah, I'm not so good at resolutions, because I sort of always feel like I'm just setting myself up for a fail, but I did, yes, I did sort of in a roundabout way, and I sort of also feel like January was just a, like a rehearsal. I feel like February, and apparently because it 's February the sixteenth is the chinese new year yeah. that 's going to be my my actual new year, but yes, I decided that I needed to do less and achieve more, so less of the stuff that you 're permanently like putting out fires, little tiny jobs all day here and there and everywhere scattered and actually sitting down with the list at the beginning of the day, set an intention and then just do that rather than reacting and just getting stuff out of the way that comes at you. Do you know what I mean?
0: Yeah, totally.
1: So that was one of my big ones. Properly getting a meditation thing going is another one.
0: I can help you with that. Can you? Yeah. That's what I need.
1: teacher. Do you? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. I yeah. just had this app from Deepak,
0: which yeah, which was amazing,
1: it? but it just lasted 30 days and then I fell off.
0: That's the Deepak Oprah one. Yeah, yeah I loved it. I know it. it's it. it. good, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And one question that I I always ask at the end is, if you could give all the mums out there mm. one thing in the world? It's quite a big question. What, a present? Yeah, or a thing like time or calm or self-love or mm. better snacks. <laughs> <laughs> what would you give them?
1: Oh, that's a really hard question, isn't it? I think I would give them a second chance. You know, all those times you got to the end of the day and you just thought, oh, I just, you know, if I hadn't been on my phone and then I would have, you know, had a nice chat with him or if I hadn't missed that, you know, you just always feel like you're missing stuff with your kids or you're, you know, you're not quite, you're doing that but you could have done that or you, you know, do you know what I mean? And I feel like if you could actually just rewind, oh, actually I should have, let's just do that way, that way. Or you put them to bed and the you know, they didn't sleep because you put them to bed. You know, I always get superstitious about things like that. Like, oh, maybe if I hadn't put them to bed that way that night when they're like two months old, they would have slept better. Just, being able to like give it another go
0: what would you say to you know when your kids were younger what would you go back and say to yourself if you Um, did have that second chance
1: I would I mean it's a real cliche but I would just do a lot less
0: it is a cliche but it's a cliche for a bloody good reason
1: yeah yeah I think, I mean, it is a cliche, but I mean, when my kids were tiny, there was no, there probably was Instagram. I don't know. There was probably one man in a room with Instagram, but I didn't know about it. And there were no sort of mum social media things. You know, it was me in my house with my first baby and for the next two. And definitely with the third, I felt it got increasing with with all of them. But with the third one, I felt like, well, I had to take the other two to school still every day, even though you know, my baby was two days old. That, and then, you know, someone's birthday, it was someone's birthday quite soon. And then it was someone's this. And and you have to be the normal mum that's still doing everything. And I was working and I was, you know, doing this and that and the other. And so I think actually just packing up and saying, no, I'm going to stay in my pyjamas and I'm going to sit on the sofa. But you feel at the time that that's failing, Because I remember thinking, I should probably do that today. And my husband definitely would say it to me. And you'd feel like, that's a bit depressing. I can't just do that. That's slightly like, I've failed. But knowing now that there are lots of people out there saying, no, this is exactly what I'm doing and it's lovely, I think it would have been easier to do.
0: Yeah, I agree. Ultimately, that's what
1: fried my... I mean, who knows? The gluten fried my thyroid. But my third child definitely fried my thyroid. And when I went to the doctor when he was three months old and they thought I had mumps because my neck was so swollen... And then they said, actually, no, your thyroid is on zero. Is that why you're so tired? Is that why I said, well, I just had a baby. so. But actually, you know, now talking to the guru guy that I found, he was like, you could have maybe, you know, all that that hormone massive swinging could have been if you hadn't gone so hard at it straight after having a baby. You might have been able to...
0: It's so interesting because I hear this time and time and time again. Like, when I ask that question, what would you say? Most people say that or something. Do they? Like that, yeah. They say, I would tell her to do less, slow down and enjoy it more.
1: Mm. That's
0: what people tend to say. Yes,
1: yes. I think I did enjoy it, but I think I was just trying to be normal. You know, that whole, like, I've got to be normal. I mean, I wasn't the super mum who was tidying my house and hoovering and you know my house is, as you can see usually a bit of a mess but what I was doing was cooking for everyone and having people around for dinner and cooking for them and thinking that that was normal and you know it was my when my first baby was three months old I had a birthday party in my house with 40 people and I just thought oh, well I've got to feed them something and Robin was my husband was like well, why don't we just go and buy something and I just couldn't do that it didn't, sit didn't work yeah. I was like well it's going to taste nicer if I make it so why don't I just make it and I was definitely blubbing at one in the morning that night after the party just having a sort of general meltdown and Robin was I'm like surprised. do you think maybe we shouldn't have had that birthday party because <laughs> <laughs> you end up as I was saying about having the second chance you end up feeling like you failed at all the things well, I didn't talk to anyone I'm really I didn't feed the baby properly I didn't you know i didn't do anything
0: and i've got to do all the tidying up yeah and now the house is a mess Yeah. yeah well lizzie thank you so much it's been brilliant
1: it's been lovely thank you so much for having me oh
0: thank you i hope you enjoyed the episode please check out my instagram where we continue the conversation and i post daily about all things motherhood and well-being Also, if you haven't already, have a look at my website because I've been writing more and more blogs and I'm also putting on there all the events and talks that I'm giving. And of course, if you haven't, then please do have a listen to some of the other episodes because I'm chatting to some really incredible women that I'd love you to enjoy. And if you did enjoy it, then please, please leave a review on iTunes. It does make a massive difference to the number of mums that we can reach with this content.